Hello, and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your requests and your real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jeb Brewer. Hello! With us all the way from Oakland, Tennessee, is Lee Younger. Yes, I'm here. I think people are very used to the idea of, the, of people like recording podcasts or doing things long distance now. I don't know that I need to give our location at the beginning of every episode, but um, it's kind of grooved in. And also, maybe people need to come hold us accountable for something. That's fine. But also, Matt, we may have started it. Hey, there's no doubt about that. We've been at this a good minute. We were doing a multi-location podcast recording long before it was technically a feasible idea. Yeah. Yeah. A very nice uh, person who uh, a friend of ours, Sarah, had put me in contact with who was thinking about starting their own podcast and had some questions and was able to get on Zoom with them and talk through some, some technicals and whatnot. And they said, well, it will mostly be me and the person in the same room, but it might be someone from a, you know, who's on the other side of town. It'd be nice to have to drive. Is there a way to do that? And I was like, I know from listening to a bunch of podcasts that there are now softwares that like do that for you, but I can only tell you the way we do it and you probably shouldn't do it that way. So <laughs> I would Google if I were you, I would just Google like podcast, virtual podcast recording. Don't. We're too old to change at this point, but this is not the ideal setup. What is it is ideal is being back with a regular say that episode after a couple weeks of some different stuff and all emergency episode, a little Easter special. We've got some of your great questions, but first we have a musical emergency. Mm. Wow. And musical not in the emergency. sense of bad Cinderella being a musical emergency. I I learned to think about a musical. Apparently, it's not good. It's out. Andrew Lloyd Webber made it, but people don't like it. That's ah. literally as much information as I had, but it was enough to make that joke. Nice. Yeah. Um, and also, hey, here, here's just a free tip from your friends that say that podcast larger. If you don't, if you're not absolutely sure people are going to like something, putting bad in the title really, really sets you up for a lot of uh, mm. review shenanigans that you may not. <laughs> Want to invite on yourself. Don't don't write it for him, I guess is what I'm saying. This comes to us uh, courtesy of Religious News Service, religious, religionnews.com. And the headline is, there's a reason every hit worship song sounds the same. So this is, this is of a genre of a situation where there's a thing you knew in your spirit, in your heart to be true, and somebody went and put some numbers to it. So Uh a a team of researchers consisting of worship leaders and some, it says people who study worship music, which I didn't know was a thing, but good for them. Uh, The study looked at 38 songs that made the top 25 lists for CCLI and praise charts, which I would have liked to think was some kind of weird Christian uh, PowerPoint alternative. But it is apparently uh, just a thing that tracks music, which tracks songs that are played in churches and found that almost all had originated from one of four megachurches. Yeah. So of the 38 songs debuted between 2010 and 2020, uh, there's one by Phil Wickham, one by North Point Worship, and all of the rest, so the remaining 36 are by Passion, Hillsong, Elevation, and Bethel. Wow. And I had not heard of Passion. Oh, really? I assume that's related to the conference, but I didn't know they had like their own thing. Yeah, the Louis Giglio thing. Yeah. Oh, well. You know, when when you read that in the spirit of the French luxury conglomerate, Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, I thought literally they had all joined forces where that was just one amalgam now. I mean, can it be that far behind? No, no. And if they go it, in the order I read them, which was kind of ascending up the chart I have, they could uh, helpfully be uh, shortened as Feb. <laughs> yeah. Passion Hillsong Elevation Bethel. Do you guys Let's remember go. the? Do you guys remember the the uh, action the futuristic action movie Demolition Man? Well, oh, yes, yeah. I do. Wesley Snipes, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, in, in this futuristic thing where we, we cryogenically have frozen a cop and a robber and we have thawed them out like 40 years in the future or something like that. And that's the premise uh, vaguely. 
But one of the interesting ideas about the future was that uh, there were the fast food wars and Taco Bell just won. Yeah. And Taco Bell was now the only, which this is not a future that, that I'd think that Jed would be against. I'm listening. <laughs> but Taco Bell is the only restaurant, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I can, I can almost see, like, you know, Taco Bell presents, like, you know, <laughs> Ruth's Chris Steakhouse brought to you by Taco Bell. <laughs> well, there is a thing. I know this. I know this is in large cities. I know it's in Chicago. I know it's in New York. I assume it's, it might not be in L.A. because it'd be considered a sin. There's a thing in Chicago that's the Taco Bell Cantina. Oh, yeah. Which is a Taco Bell, yeah. but they slightly, like, up, upscaled the decor and they serve booze. Oh, so well, I think that's the, set the to Baja go. Blast. Baja Blast with a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of Don Julio. Absolutely, that's, a, that's a, getting a little more interesting. Well, so here's my whole thing about this: is that you know, in in Demolition Man's version of the future, Taco Bell is the only restaurant that still exists in the future. What you're talking about, um, this this website is basically saying we're heading that direction with worship music. And I wonder if Jed would be able to, on the spur of the moment, write a Hillsong or Bethel esque worship song that, um, is, is basically a Taco Bell menu item type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can do that. Now, do we want, basically I'm talking about Taco Bell, but in a worship music context, or are we looking just for kind of like, the amalgam of like, we're going to take these same five words, just put them in a slightly different order to make a song, but they're still like yeah. worshipy words. I, I think we want stylistically Hillsong slash Bethel, but, but, we're, but it's, it's about Taco Bell menu items. Oh, I got you. I got you. Let me grab a guitar. One second. <laughs> while, while Jed goes in that, he's not joking, by the oh way. Jed has just pushed, her, pushed his chair away. He's headed to the next room of his house where he has many guitars. Um, while we're there, this list in this news article does also have um, some titles <laughs> of songs. So I'm going to just come in and fill some in. Uh, there's one, a Bethel song called Raise a Hallelujah, which I think Raise right. a Chalupa is right there. <laughs> Let's see what we've got here. Oh, come to the altar. I mean, you'll come to the tacos right there. Uh, this is amazing sauce. There you go. There's oh praise the name. Anesthesis. I don't know what that means. Oh braise the uh, braise is a is a word that sounds like praise that has to do with cooking meat in some way. Oh braise the steak. There you go. Car- oh braise the steak. Parenthetical. Asada. Parenthetical. 10,000 reasons to upgrade to Nacho Supreme. <laughs> at, there's one called At the Cross, parentheses, Love Ran Red. I feel like that's about sauce somehow. Yeah. That's like, a, that's like not a mild sauce there. Gentlemen, yeah. the music struck. I'm ready. Okay, okay, let's go, Jed. We cry out. And for the crunch rap supreme We cry out For the spicy nacho cheese Fill us up with fourth meal Fill us up with what we need We cry out For the crunch rap supreme <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. We've been doing this show for a long time. We've had a lot of fun. I think we've done some great bits. I don't know that any, that's a high water mark right there. Thank you. Thank you. We're not going to pass that, fellas. That's as good as it gets. I'm sorry. No, yeah, I think we, I think we, we've done a couple of short episodes in a row, but I think we need to call that one right there. We're not going to beat. We can, call can, out can, the can, trap Supreme. Can I ask uh, on a serious note, Jed, like, is there any way that for the layperson you could just break down why whatever this article says that was so simple for you to do right there? Well, so I mean like like from like a musical standpoint. Yeah, and just like 
just kind of well let, let me let me back up for just a second i I've, i was reading an article recently um from uh, uh this was this was an african american pastor who was saying that you know in all of the the recent movements in the last decade or so to create in cities in the united states multi-ethnic churches there's a lot of movement towards uh people of color and a lot of that has been very heartfelt and it's been very good and this this brother said and yet the worship always has to be hillsong yeah yeah whatever happens whatever movement we make towards people of color and yet the music must always be hillsong right um and, and so for people that are that don't know what he meant by that if okay. you could just kind of explain like why was it so simple for you to create something at a moment's notice that is so recognizable about Taco Bell or about anything? It could have been sure. about Legos. It could have been about you know, anything. But just, well, I don't think the muses would have struck quite as hard if it wasn't about Taco <laughs> <Yeah>. Bell. <laughs> okay, so basically, um, and avoiding as much music theory as possible, right? Like a song is the melody. That's the part that you sing. And then there are what are called chords underneath it that are kind of what the instruments are doing. And ultimately, the song is the interaction between the melody and the chords. Like, like when you copyright a song, like that's, that's what you're copywriting. And every style of music has a certain collection of chords that it uses, and it has a certain way that the melody relates to those chords that kind of makes this this style of music, right? Like if you're flipping through the radio station and you, you flip past a country station, whether you like country or not, you kind of instantly know when you've hit country music. And it's not just because it's got a banjo, but it's because the way the chords and the melody interact that like, that's what country music is. And it's the same thing. Like it's not just that classic rock was recorded a while ago. It's that they have certain chords they use in certain ways that, that the melodies work. And so it's just an aesthetic preference. Like if you like that, that's cool. There's nothing good or bad about it. It just, it kind of is what it is. And so, but the, the problem is that we associate things with styles of music, right? Like, are there better anthems for winning teams than Queens? We are the champions almost certainly, but we all have associated that like when the team does really well, that's the song that we sing. And so like for a lot of people, when they think of, I want to have, a strong emotional sense that I am close to the Lord. They associate that strong emotional sense with that collection of chords and the way that the melody works with them. And so that's right. why it, it has to be Hillsong. It has to be Hillsong. It also, I imagine this has something to do with the kind of demographics that Lee was discussing there. It has to be pretty simple. Yeah. Like, um, there's I am Lee and Jed are both very competent musicians and guitar players. And I'm a guy who had to learn how to play guitar at some point for young life club. And uh, most of those songs, you learn the three chords you need and then you're done. Cause that's who that yeah, was like, written for. Jed could have immediately broken into journeys. Don't stop believing without missing a beat. There. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's basically and, the same and, thing. Yeah. And, 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 um, and, and you know, the, the, like Jed, you know, said we're we're not going to dive too deep in musical theory, but the the one piece we would add there is is a sense of rhythm, and that has a very strong cultural component there as well. And that simplicity that Matt's talking about is a huge piece of that. No doubt. Well said. We do not syncopate in the house of the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was I was reading a a, a very similar article by um, a, a, a an indigenous. Uh, pastor, a Native American pastor, who was saying, you know, uh, that he was saying basically our our drum circles and some of our music is completely rejected by the Christian Church as this pagan whatever whatever. But their Hillsong thing is the only thing that that is allowed to be com- uh, you know uh, allowed to be included, yeah. and that is uh, that is completely uncool because we have ways of expressing our heart and our uh, you know and. And our our devotion to the Lord and stuff like that, and and our cultural modes that are completely rejected, and so those things are those those things are just important to be aware of. Yeah, if you want, if you're not a music theory person, or if you know a little bit about it, 
Um, it's worth going to YouTube and typing in four chord song and you'll see there's a couple of pretty famous ones, but there's a, there's a lot of basically people showing that most pop songs of the last call it 40 years can be expressed through the same basic chord progression. And that, that were written by white people. Yes, very much so. Um, yes, you Stevie Wonder and Prince will not, no Stevie Wonder or Prince songs will appear on these lists, but your, uh, yeah. your journeys, your, your green days, whatnot. I'm going to get done with the, uh, the one, five, six, four. And in classic, uh, Christian stuff, most of the Christian songs are three chords. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And they do away with the minor one. If you know anything about music, make of that what you will. <laughs> Can't have an E minor in there. That's a bit emotionally complex for what we're trying to do here. We don't want to be sad, Matt. Yes. I think in a very rare moment for the emergency segment, we all learned something today. <laughs> and one of the things we learned is that a fully formed pre-chorus and chorus for a worship song about pretty much any topic is right on the tip of Jed Brewer's tongue at any time. I'm ready to rock. I think Crunchwrap Supreme, parentheses, we cry out, is going to be shooting up the Christian charts any moment now. Oh, gosh. That was amazing. That was one of my favorite things that's ever happened on this show. That was... Yeah, that was strong. And on that moment, we're going to declare emergency off. The rare moment where we declare emergency off in triumph instead of despair. Woo! Yes, I apologize to Matt because I completely peaked this microphone over here in my jubilation and celebration of Jed's impromptu song. So he's going to have to hit the compressor a little bit harder this week. There, There is no product that the Shore Corporation has made that can contain Lee's utter joy at Jed's uh, improv song abilities. So with that uh, done and out of the way, we're going to move on to our Your Fine Questions. If you have a question with us, hang out with us all the way to the end. I'll get some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description, wherever you're listening to this, and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is to love your neighbor. Does this mean there are times we have to choose loving God over loving people. Uh, very cool question. I think there is, um, this is one of those verses that you do see bandied about in a very nitpicky legalistic way of, well, yes, loving your neighbor is important, but he says the greatest commandment. So it does imply some kind of friction between these things that may be overreading into it, but it, it is there. They are, they are separated uh, grammatically, if not thematically. So I think it is a very interesting uh, idea you bring up. And Jed, where would we start with the, uh, with just this kind of, this idea of if these things interact and if so, how? Let me read this question one more time. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God and the second is to love your neighbor. Does this mean that there are times we have to choose between loving God over loving people? It's a great question. Um, here, here would be my answer back to you. I think we love God primarily by loving our neighbor. I don't think that these are two separate yeah. things. I think that in the vast majority of the time, the primary way to show love for God is through showing love for other human beings, through loving your neighbor. And I would offer for your consideration that that's kind of the point of Matthew chapter 25. Um, if you don't recognize that reference by number, you probably know the passage because this is the very, very famous section where Jesus is saying, you saw me hungry and you fed me. You saw me uh, naked and you clothed me. For whenever you did this unto the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Um, and by the way, the context of that is really interesting because he's, he's literally talking about the end judgment. Like he's talking about the, the final exam that is given to, to all people is, you know, how did you treat people who could do nothing for you? But the big, the big takeaway there is if you want to show love for God, you do it by loving other people. The interesting thing about Jesus's parable there, right, is he says, because um, there's kind of two groups, a, a group who got it and a group who didn't. And, and the group who got it's like, you know, you saw me hungry and you fed me. You saw me naked and you clothed me. And they said, well, when did we do that? He says, whenever you did it unto the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. But then there's this other group where he says, you saw me hungry and you did not feed me. And you saw me naked and you did not clothe me. And they say, well, what are you talking about? When, when did we see you hungry and not feed you? And he says, whenever you failed to do it for the least of these, my brothers, you failed to do it. For me. So the other takeaway is that to disregard your neighbor 
is to disregard God. And that's really, really worth thinking about, that um, ignoring your neighbor, disregarding your neighbor, being uh, choose, turning a blind eye to your neighbor's needs is, is actually disregarding God. That's, that's the pretty straightforward takeaway for Matthew chapter 25. So I think that's kind of the immediate answer to your question, but I think it's worth digging slightly deeper. And again, I'm really glad that you asked it because I think that there are if you can, if you can dig it, and I'd, I'd like you to at least think about this. I think there are a lot of people with really awful agendas that are trying to sell you right now on the idea that loving God and loving your neighbor are two separate things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why they're trying to do that is because they want you to buy into the idea that you can totally be a devout Christian living a totally above board, legit Christian life while contributing to hurting other human beings. Like there are a lot of people who for political reasons really want you to believe that, that, that you can do that, that you can be a legit authentic Christian who is on great terms with God. And also through your life, through your choices, through your vote, through everything are making other people's lives awful. And that's totally cool. And it's totally legit. And you don't have anything to worry about. And they're trying to convince you of that because they, they do want, your vote and your purchase and your decisions and your support. And they, they don't want you to, to be tied up with any cognitive dissonance or any guilt or any, any <laughs> feeling bad about this for what it's worth. I'm not interested in you feeling bad about anything either. And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you, but what I would say is that um, there are folks who like to talk about the plain reading of scripture. The plain reading of scripture is that to love God is to love your neighbor yep. and, and to disregard your neighbor is to disregard God. And not only is that the plain reading of scripture, my understanding is that through thousands of years of church history, that has been the overwhelming majority view of what the Bible means consistently going all the way back to Jesus Christ. As many things as have changed in, in people's understandings, particularly as science evolves and technology evolves and cultures evolve, as many things as have changed, that one really, really has not. Um, and so again, something that could feel like almost an academic abstraction, like Jesus listed them separately. Maybe they are separate. There are people in this world who really want you to go that route because they want to convince you to do something that the vast majority of Christians who have ever lived would tell you is not the way to go. If you want to love God, you love other people. If you won't love other people, you aren't loving God. In fact, First John says that explicitly. It, it's it's super, super straightforward and, and unavoidable. Um, so yes, you love God by loving other people, and you also watch out for people that are trying for nefarious purposes to get you to separate those two ideas. Absolutely right. I think that's an excellent place to, to start that. I think it's super well put on every level. And Lee, where do we take this from there? Yeah, I completely and totally agree with Jed. I'm just going to um, underline some stuff here by getting, we're just going to get even a little nerdier with the the actual scripture itself. We're going to look at Matthew 22, where Jesus said this thing, uh, where your question comes from. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your Lord or love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So I'm assuming that at some level you're hear, hearing somebody say, well, loving the Lord your God is the most important thing. And then obviously Jesus says, the second thing is like it. In other words, it's not exactly the same. It's similar, but obviously loving the Lord is more important. And then loving your neighbor is less important. Okay. Um, you have probably been around this Jesus stuff long enough to know that the, that, that, uh, scripture, the gospel of Matthew was written, not in English because English didn't exist, but in, uh, the Greek language and in the Greek language, in the original language, when Jesus said, the second commandment is like it, the word like, um, is the Greek word. I'm just going to read the, this Greek word. Homoia. Um, you've probably heard the word. You've probably heard a word in English that sounds a lot like homoia. Um, it's a word that means the same. 
Um, it's where you get the word homophobic. It's where you get the word homogeneous. Um, it's, it's the opposite of hetero. It means the same. What Jesus was saying was, the, the most important thing for your life is this. Love God with everything you have. The next thing you need to think about is the exact same as that. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're the same thing. Um, God is love. What, what it means to love is to be after and about and working towards somebody's best, towards their health, towards their, towards their advancement, towards their amplification, towards them being hooked up. You should go after that for other people the same way you go after God in that way. Jesus literally said, it's the same thing. That's, that's what the original language says. It's the same. The second commandment is exactly the same as the first commandment. And Jed is exactly right. When you love other people, it's the same as loving God because that's what God is doing. God is love. He is always working for people's best for their health. And when you participate that, it, when you participate in that for other people, you are actually doing the work of God. It's the same thing. These are not mutually exclusive commandments. I I understand as exactly as Jed's saying that people have special interests. They have they have an interest in you thinking that they're separate or that they're different or that one is more important than the other. But literally in the original language, Jesus said, the second commandment is the same as the first one. Love people. That's what God's doing in the world. That's what you should do in the world. That's what it means to love God is to love the people that he loves. Absolutely right. That's extremely well put by both of these guys. And I would uh, close this out by looking at exactly what they're warning against there, which is this idea of um, sometimes, you know, Jed mentioned the plain reading of scripture that people talk about. And Lee mentioned that the neither the Old or New Testament are written in English. So if someone ever asks to say, well, it's very clear what the scripture says, your first question should be, were you reading that in the original Greek or Hebrew? Because if not, you do not have a plain reading of scripture. You have, as all of us do, reading this through a lens of culture and translation and time and place. So I think one of the things as you navigate kind of the Christian world and what people are saying about this stuff and writing about it is to one of the things I have learned and I would pass on to anyone who wants to do that is to be very aware when people are trying to oversimplify, but also be very aware when people are trying to overcomplicate. Because I think we can track with the oversimplification thing. But on the overcomplication side, you get this kind of thing where, aha, there's an ordering or there's a comma here or this actually says that. And that means you get to be awful to people, but that's actually the most Christian thing you can do. Well, a five-year-old who goes to Sunday school knows that, you know, Jesus says, love your neighbors yourself. You're not getting around that with any amount of semantic semantic stuff you're trying to pull off so that you can be awful to groups of people that you don't think deserve dignity. That's not very Jesus-y. Right. And I think when people come, if you're not familiar with kind of the, the basis of study that like Lee and Jed broke down there, it can sometimes feel like you don't have enough ammo to counteract that. But here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to. Somebody says, Oh, actually, these, these these two things have numbers in them, so that means the most uh, cool Christian thing I can do is be awful to this uh, dispossessed group of people in our world. You you actually are just as valid. Just go, no, that doesn't pass the smell test. Actually, I've got just as much Holy Spirit as you do. I know enough to know the basics of this thing. You know, I, I know that the kind of the Jesus loves me version of Christianity at this point. That's enough to know that this sounds like you trying to get out of the actual basic tenets of this religion and keep other parts of it. And that is actually a no, no in that book as well. If you keep reading, uh, it's one we all pick and choose, but when people are trying to pick and choose along certain themes, like I want to be unforgiving or mean or hostile to people, it becomes pretty easy to let go of whatever influence those people are trying to have over situation. And you are right to do it. According to your friends here at the say that podcast. Move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, there's a lot of talk about, quote, following your passion in things like career, but also in the church about using your passions for the Lord. 
There's a lot of stuff that I like, but I don't know that I really have a passion I want to pursue. Is that okay? Am I missing something? A, a great question. I think we've talked about stuff along this line in the past, but uh, I really like the our question asker here elucidating some ways in which this gets used as a trope in the in the wider secular world, but definitely also in the Christian world. So, Jed, where would we start off here? It's a great question, and I think one of the problems here is passion means different things to different people, honestly. Um, I want to ask you a slightly different question, and it's one I don't think it's asked very often, but I think it's really important, is what is easy for you? What are things that it's it's easy for you to do, tasks easy for you to knock out, connections it's easy for you to make? What's easy for you? And then, once you've cataloged that a little bit, ask this. Is that thing or are those things easy for others? Because as you go through that list, I bet you find a number of them that are not easy for other people. Then the question becomes, how do you serve other people with the things that come easily to you? Nice. How, how do you do that? I think that that's a very, very different question than how do, you, how do you deal with your passions, but I think it's a lot more actionable. You almost certainly have areas of strength, you have talents, you have possessions, you have connections in your life, you have access in your life that makes certain things just like not a particular concern, right? And so like, and here's some really fairly mundane examples, but they, they kind of serve the point, right? Like, it might be super, super easy for you to get in your car and pick up somebody who doesn't have a car and take them to the grocery store so they can get some groceries and not have to carry everything home over a two mile walk. Like it might be something that's just super easy for you and you, you wouldn't care about doing it at all. And it'd be, it'd be no bother. Whereas for somebody else, for any number of reasons, they don't have a car, they don't have time or they don't have gas money or whatever. Like I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't help a person in that way. Um, similarly, like, um, when I, um, what, what would be a good example of this, right? Like, um, when I have a question about Shakespeare, I can ask Matt about it because Matt almost doubtlessly knows the answer and it will require almost no Verily. effort on his part. <laughs> this, this is really good, right? I mean, like, um, one of the problems with focusing on passion is that you can, I am, let, let me put it this way. I'm passionate about a certain number of things that I'm bad at and that don't come easily to me that I don't really have the resources for. Um, and that I can only do a very, very limited amount of, um, you know, like I am, I am passionate about cooking fine French cuisine. A few things on this. Yeah. The first is to do that. Well, you need to be a trained chef, which I'm not. The second is you need to have like a professional kitchen, which I don't. The third is you need to have so much time. I mean, like you're cooking for days to making those dishes. I don't have that much time. Then you have the cost of the ingredients, which is super, super high. I'm passionate about it. I like doing it every once in a blue moon. I think it's super neat. I have almost none of the prerequisites to really pull that off and pull it off well. By contrast... If you need a worship song on the spot, particularly something that's Taco Bell themed, I'm your dude. I'm I'm ready you to rock, it. baby. Handled. And so one of the things that I think is worth really thinking about, right, is resource allocation. One of the great things about generosity is finding a way of how do I take what I already have and just make it go further to help more people. Christians, and, and we actually reference this I think in the previous episode, the phrase sacrificial giving came up. Maybe that was the one today. I don't remember. Well, that was in one of the articles from last week. Yeah. Okay. About like, the uh, megachurch forcing the people to give 10%. Right, 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 right. It's like Christians love to talk about this idea of sacrificial giving. You should never, ever, ever start sacrificial giving. You should start with giving you can sustain. You should start with giving that's easy for you. You should start with sharing resources that are in abundance for you. And therefore it's not a big deal to be hyper generous because I've got a lot of this. Like, um, dude, if you, uh, again, I, I can't imagine you would, but if you need 10 Taco Bell worship songs, like it's, I could do that. That's not, that's not that hard for me. If you need 10 perfectly prepared French meals, that, that, that will be hard for me. Are there times and places 
to consult your passions? Yeah, there are. Are there times and places to consider for a moment giving of yourself, whether it's money or not, in a way that, that is sacrificial? Sure, there are. But starting with what is easy for me? What do I have an abundance of? What it, What's easy for me to say yes to? I think that's a much, much better place to start from. I think it's much, much easier to navigate. And I think it gets us out of a lot of the stickiness, a lot of the uh, quagmire quality that comes from trying to navigate what we're passionate about and making decisions accordingly. I think it's another great place to start that off. And Lee, where do we take it from there? I, I, I love where Jed has taken us on this. And also uh, the next time I'm in Chicago, I, I'd like to try some of the French cuisine tries. Like, you got it, dude. Okay, pal. There's a I lot more Taco really Bell influence than you're expecting. Foie <laughs> <laughs> gras supreme and so on. <laughs> Chicken chalupa cordon bleu. That's, That's right. right. Um, Beef burger yeah. nacho. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, here's what I would say about passion. Um, and you, I have a lot of compassion for somebody who feels like I just don't know what mine is. Um, because first of all, like passions come and go, man. Yeah. Like you, you feel super passionate about something and then you get into it for a while and then that stuff fades. Um, I would encourage you, please don't judge yourself if you're feeling a little blah right now. Um, first of all, we've all been through a lot the past few years. I know that it's been a while since we were locked in and quarantine and stuff like that, but like there are certain parts of my life that I feel like are still not on back on rhythm from being locked down. And I, I and I just I, I want you to make some space for that. Like I'm if I'm still not on pace, that's okay. Um you're going to have passions that ebb and flow. That's totally, totally fine. Um you might discover a passion this year that you've never uh, cared about before. Uh, my wife, uh, during quarantine for a while, played ukulele a lot. And, and uh, she found like a YouTube teacher that she liked, and she got really good at it. And then, and then she just got over it, and she was done <laughs> with the ukulele. And she might pick it up uh, you know, in a couple of years, and that would be really cool. Um, lately she's been really, really into cross stitch and she's super good at it. And she really loves cross stitch, man. And the cool thing is, is that you turn around and you make this cross stitch and there's only so much cross stitch you can hang on to once you've made it. So all of a sudden she finds herself giving it to someone and now you've blessed somebody with it. And that's a really, really cool thing. So here's my suggestion for you. Don't judge yourself for feeling blah because you have every reason to feel blah right now. Try some stuff, research some stuff, uh, go for some things. If you like it, cool. If you don't, don't worry about it. Move on to something else. If you find something that you tap into and you enjoy, here's my thing. Don't immediately look for the way that you can further the kingdom or bless the Lord with this thing or whatever. Just enjoy the thing. Let's start with that. Just enjoy the thing. If that turns out to be, um, you've discovered the joy of making beignets from scratch, then make some beignets. Everybody loves a donut. Just eat the donuts. If you get into watercolor painting, awesome. Um, I, I talked in a recent episode about getting into uh, to birding, then bird, um, gardening, whatever. And then just enjoy it first. That's step number one, is just enjoy it. As you go through the stages of development and growth and enjoying this thing that you're enjoying, start looking for some nudges or talking to the Lord about, is there a way that I could bless somebody with this? Is there a way that you could use this in some way? I don't know how you could use gardening. I don't know how you could use birding in a way that would, I don't know, be an encouragement to somebody else. Don't worry. The Lord is excessively creative, and he's excessively interested that people make connections and care for each other. There's a dude in uh, in our church, and Matt knows him well. He's just a, a, a dear, precious fellow that goes to Triple C. Uh, his name's Barry, and he loves gardening more than anything in the world. And he's just a, he's just a kind of a solitary guy who loves plants. And every now and then, when you come, when you show up to to Triple C on a Sunday morning, when you're making your way into the church, 
there'll be huge planters out on the front porch with different um, seasonal flowers in those plants, in those planters. And it's because Barry bought the planters and he filled them with soil and he put different plants for every season of the year. Nobody pays him for it. The church doesn't buy the plants. It's just he grows them on his own property, and then he transplants them into these planters, and he brings them up to the church just to beautify the space so that people walk in with different seasonal Tennessee plants at all times of the year. It's just something that he loves, and it's just a way for him to bless our community, and it it just makes it more beautiful. Um, I would say don't judge yourself if you're feeling a little blah. And if you feel some kind of passion, go with it, enjoy it first, and then wait for the wait for the blessing of the community or the furthering of the kingdom. Wait for that piece to come on later. But let's start with no judgment. Let's go next with enjoyment. And later on down the line, let's let the creative Lord figure out how he wants to use that to bless. I, I guarantee you he's got some cool way that he can use whatever you're into to make somebody's day a little bit better. Absolutely right. I think that's extremely, extremely well put. Um, I would I would tack on to the end here that you, you mentioned. I just uh, there's stuff I like, but I don't know if I it rises to the level of passion, and I relate to that uh, strongly in the, the, just kind of the way I'm built. Here's the thing: it's fine to just have stuff you like. Um, that's that's cool. That's allowed, and that can also be used in exactly the way we're talking about. Um, when someone says they have a a passion for something. Most of the time they're describing something they like. That's fine. They're using a little different word for it. They might have a little more fire in their belly about certain things, but it's just an interest. It's something they dig. Um, And you can have that. But I think to Lee's point, if if you like something, that means you're having fun with it. And it is incredibly easy to help or bless other people with something you're having fun with. Because there is a... For most communities and most people's lives, there's a huge dearth of things that are just fun, whether it's gardening or whether it's uh, silly songs or whether it's, you know, watching a, a sport or whatever, something that you do to unwind and have fun that someone else can do with you. That's that can be an incredibly powerful thing. Well, to your point, Matt, um, th- there there could also be this, just this other thing of like. I'm not really passionate about this thing, but I know that person A and person B and person C are, but they're not really connected, but I'm friends with all of them. And so to that point, like, you know, I, you know, my friends, uh, Matt King and my friend Justin and my friend Rob are all like ludicrously into professional wrestling. Um, I don't know I don't if know I'd that- say ludicrously. I mean, literally everyone else in the world would, but I don't know if I would. <laughs> <laughs> and look, uh, Justin and Matt are already connected, but I don't know if Rob and Justin are that connected. And I don't know how close Matt and Rob are, but I know that they all three love this. So I'm just going to start a little text thread and see if they pick up on it. And lo and behold, like they have their own text thread and they connect on this thing. And it's a little bit of community that maybe wasn't there before. I'm not taking credit for that. I'm just saying like, it's not something that I'm into, but I know they're into, and all of a sudden they get to have this connection. I don't understand it. I can't speak the language, but like they're creating a little more community right there. And that's a really cool thing. I think that's, that's absolutely right. I would also contrast that with uh, kind of the example of the, the person doing the gardening earlier, because a lot of stuff in Christians in Christian kind of spheres is built around that idea of, you know, if you like fishing, take someone take someone fishing with you to connect these people. And that's great. And we're all about, we're great proponents of building community in the way that Lee was talking about there. And uh, Jed and Lee are both amazing. I've seen what is firsthand and inviting people into something and helping people be a part of a thing. But if part of your, if a similar personality trait to what you would describe as, I don't know that I really have passions is, I don't know that I really want to be a connector of people and have lots of people around all the time. That's cool too. You can plant, you can garden by yourself and take that yep. to the church and that's fine. You, there's no, I think what we're driving at here in a larger sense is there's no one way to do any of this. Cause when we look for the one way to do this, uh, it kind of actually takes back to the music conversation earlier. You end up with everybody trying to do their version of the one thing. And that's not what anybody needs. Do 
be you, do the things you like and the way you like to do them, and let stuff flow from that as we've been talking about. Yeah. Move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, how do you balance serving others with having your own boundaries? Is the Christian thing to always go with what's best for the other person or the way they want things to go at the expense of what you would prefer? I think this is a, a great question. It's kind of a a type of thing we, we talk about occasionally here, and it's a, and something where the rubber is going to meet the road, as the saying goes, because yes, in in theory and in the large sense, you know, we we're talking about earlier, you want to love your neighbors yourself, you want to be servant minded, you want to put the needs of others above yourselves. But Jed, sometimes um, if we're going to do something together, I, I can do Tuesday, but I really can't do Thursday. So if Thursday is better for you, I might be able to rearrange my whole life around doing that on Thursday, or I could be like, hey man, can you do Tuesday? Because we need yeah. to get some some practicality going here. So our, our question asker brought in the term of, of balance. So how do we go about identifying that? It's a great question. Really, really good stuff. Let's, let's kind of start with some left and right limits. So on the one side, we have the idea that if you want to serve other people and you're never, ever willing to accommodate anyone else on anything, it's going to be pretty hard to serve anybody. Like, and that's, that's, that's just how life works. However, if your thought is what I need to do is I need to do maximum strength accommodation on what is not just best, but what is convenient and preferable for others. And in all situations, I will always do that. That's not a sustainable strategy. Like I will be a schedule martyr. Yeah. You're not going to be, you will either literally not be able to do that, or it's going to make you miserable in a way that completely undercuts the the efficacy of helping other people i mean like did people don't really want to receive help from someone who is obviously hating every moment of doing this <laughs> so so we do need balance you know those are kind of our, our two extremes and so you know we, we do need balance in between we've all been to the dmv in other words exactly right exactly so the thing, and we've talked about this before, but there's this phrase the Bible uses that I like a lot, and I think it's one of the ways to navigate your question, is the Bible talks about being a cheerful giver. And the the thing about being a cheerful giver is it's not just about amount. Like, I could cheerfully give $1. I can't cheerfully give $10. It's also about the way that things are going to work, right? Like, you know, I, was, I brought up, you know, cooking earlier, um, and for a home cook, I'm fine. and so. If somebody is going through a rough time and, you know, they could use me to bring a casserole, there's food that I can make that I'd be happy to do. And I know I can pull off and it's not a big deal that I can give cheerfully. I'm happy to do that. Then there's stuff that I'm not confident I can pull off and it could be a disaster and I don't really have the time for it anyway. And I kind of can't give that cheerfully. And here, it's not really about money. It's about the overall pain in the butt for, for lack of a more genteel expression. And that that really matters, right? How do you measure whether you're giving cheerfully? Oh, you kind of have to get in touch with, with your own emotions. And, and here, I think we wind up with the thing that many, many, many church people are really uncomfortable. Your emotions matter, and you need to learn to listen to them. Yeah. Your emotions are, should not be the final authority for every decision that you make in your life. And your emotions cannot, at the end of the day, tell you what is true in the universe. However, they still matter. Your feelings matter and you do need to learn how to listen to them. And if you're doing things in a way where it's making you uneasy, it's making you stressed out, it's making you um, not feel good about it. And like being cheerful and having fun has left the building. Listen to that. Pay attention to that. If there's not a compelling reason why things need to be done that way, like this is an emergency. This person is bleeding and needs to get to a hospital right now. And I'm an EMT. If we don't have, you know, something really compelling, listen to those feelings, man. Listen to those feelings. It's really, really important. Like you can deny how you feel for a while. You can't deny how you feel forever. And it's not a good goal to try. And we've all heard a million sermons about dying to ourselves and blah, 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 blah. Hear me now. You cannot live a long-term lifestyle where you ignore and subvert every feeling you have. That's that's not going to work. And and God doesn't want that for you. So right. don't 
don't do that. That's part number one. Here's part number two. You use the phrase, um, what is best for the other person? Best has many definitions, many, many, many definitions. And it is worth asking, where is your definition of best coming from? If you want a loose definition of love, like what does it mean to love someone? To love someone is is to be devoted to their good. I think that's a a decent definition of love. And to really love someone is to be devoted to their best. I think that's a pretty good definition. How do you define that? And more to the point, who is defining that for you? When you're serving other people, like all three of us on the show have done a lot of serving people. They're going through a very, very hard time. Man, when people are in a lot of need, they don't know what's best for them. Um, So if you're counting that, on the idea that other people like the people you're serving will be able to just tell you what they need and the best way to hook it up. That's not a safe assumption. Um, If you're not sure what to do, figure out what the area of need that they're dealing with is, and then ask who do I know or who can I access that is a subject matter expert in this field? Not someone who's a well-intentioned amateur, not someone who wrote a Christian book a few years back, Someone who is a subject matter expert in this field, right? Suppose that you have a friend who uh, may be getting kicked out of their living situation and could be housing insecure for a while and they, they need help and they, and they want help and you're prepared to help. Talk to someone who knows how to get people housed. If your friend hasn't been through that before, they don't know how to solve that problem. Um, and even if you have a really good pastor at your church, unless they've been involved repeatedly in getting people housed, they don't know how to solve that problem either. Find someone who has actual lived experience in solving that problem and get them to help you understand what the best case scenario is, because that's really important for knowing what to do, but it's also really important for setting your expectations. Part of where losing the thread on being a cheerful giver comes in is when we expect things that aren't realistic. You know, my friend's getting kicked out of their $800 a month apartment. But I just believe that if I, you know, uh, have enough faith, I can get them into a mansion for free for the next 20 years. Well, it's not realistic, man. You know, who, who told you that that could happen? If that's your expectation, everything that's not that's going to feel like a failure and a letdown. Fortunately, we can, we can avoid all of that. We can find people who know about this kind of situation. We can get their guidance and we can keep an internal monitor on how our feelings are doing so that we can keep things, roughly speaking, in a place of being a cheerful giver. I think that is once again, fantastic. And Lee, where do we close this out? It is fantastic. Uh, Just a couple of things to, to add to that. One is um, this is uh, just from the mouth of Jesus. Uh, This is in Luke chapter 14. Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, "This person began to build and wasn't able to finish." Um, this is this speaks exactly to what Jed's talking about with this idea of resource management. You are not an endless, uh, like a, a bottomless, you know, vat of resources of energy and time and and help and wisdom and ideas. You are finite, and so am I, and so is every other person you've ever worked with or helped or met or anything like that. Jesus understands this. Uh, Psalm 103 says, he knows that we are dust. As a result of that, you have to have a a mind towards balance and boundaries when it comes to how you are going to spend your resources. You have a finite amount of time. You have a finite amount of energy. You have a finite amount of ideas. You have a finite amount of help that you can offer. The weird thing is, is that when it comes to, you know, knowing yourself and knowing your limits and, you know, all that, your health and all that kind of stuff, that's a skill that is very rarely talked about from the pulpit in discipleship, but it's right there at the beginning of every single speech that's giving, given at the beginning of every single flight on, a, on an airplane where the flight attendant says, you need to put your own oxygen mask on in the in the event of an emergency before you attempt to help somebody else. 
you have to be in a state where you can sustain helping someone before you can actually help someone. That's the whole point of that speech. We need to get make sure that you are able to sustain helping before you can actually administer any help. That's something that we have to understand about ourselves. I am not an infinite being. So I have to manage my, I have to know myself, number one, and then I have to be able to manage what I can actually do. If you just give in to everything and burn yourself out, that is an unsustainable, untenable situation. Balance and boundaries lead to sustainable service. Jesus understands that. That's why he says the things like he does in, uh, in Luke chapter 14. That's why the book of Proverbs talks the way it does about so many things. You have to approach situations with wisdom, first and foremost. Um, it's great that you have a heart to serve. Can we do that with wisdom so that we don't burn out and, and totally uh, you know, exhaust our ability to actually help someone? So let's find out what it would look like to actually help and do those things in a wise and sustainable way. I think that's that's a great point. And the martyr complex is a a very important thing because it really can seep down into these kind of details. And it's kind of, as Jed was talking about earlier with the cheerful giver comparison of, yes, you probably could take this phone call at 11 p.m. at night, but if you're not going to be happy about that, and you're not going to be able to be fully there for it because you need to get up at 6 a.m. to go to work. Let's just, let's flex on something. Let's figure something else out. The martyr complex can really boil down into the details. And there comes a time where you do have to hold the line on something that, whether that be uh, for some kind of, you know, emotional health reason or logistical reason, just like you, there are things that can be done and things that can't be done. And there are things that I think the gray area we're looking at here is things that technically could be done, but they would be a huge pain point. And it's not a reasonable expectation for you to take on that in all of your relationships all of the time. Yes, there are times where someone might just really need something or be in a bad spot and you you kind of have to be the one who rips up their whole day to take care of that situation. But again, you have three people on the show who are or have done that professionally at a time. And you can't do that every day for every situation. There has to be a time where you say, look, man, I I really want to help, but I can't do Tuesday. That's the only day you can do. We got to figure out something else out because it's just, it's physically not going to work. Even if it, even if yes, if I told these five people that I could meet with them another day and I didn't eat and I, you know, borrowed a better a car with better gas mileage. So I can make this drive. It could technically work. That's that's not working. That's not working in any real, functional, sustainable way. And that is part of making something work for you is that functional and sustainability. All right, thank you. If you have a question for us, say that podcast gmail.com, <clears throat> the bridge slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, say out the song this week. You have heard the improv worship music stylings of Jed Brewer. We're actually going to take you out with one that he wrote ahead of time. This is Jed recorded live at the bridge, a song called Savior for My Sins. Say that. Thanks for listening to this movie. We love you. God love you. Nothing you can do. Sin is the lie that there's something else that I need more than God himself He's holding back And that which is best From my account Jesus saved me from my sins Get me on my feet again Jesus saved me from my sins Give me mercy once again
Yeah. 